0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is where we are headed today as we continue our way through the book of Daniel this fall. And just like other weeks, I would love to ask, can I have a couple of people who would be willing to help read the chapter when we get ready to read it? Two volunteers? Anyone? Linda? And one more? Oh, all right, Uh, Matt, all right, perfect. So if you guys can come up here uh, in these chairs, I'll bring the mic over and we'll just pass it around when it comes time to read. Thank you, guys. So a couple of important things about Daniel chapter 6 before we read. First of all, the book of Daniel is divided into two sections. The first half of the book, chapters one through six, are a collection of stories about Daniel and his friends while in exile. And then the second half of the book, seven through 12, are a collection of visions from Daniel while he's in exile. All right, so we've got stories, and then we have visions. In uh, chapter six, today brings the first half collection of stories to a close, which means starting next week, things are going to get really weird, all right? So I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Um, but for today, uh, we are getting to the last of these stories from the first half of the book of Daniel. If you remember back in chapter one, Daniel and his friends were young boys who were brought into exile by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the last verse of chapter 1 tells us that Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So that's the scope of the book of Daniel, from Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar to Persia's King Cyrus. And as we will see, the very last verse of chapter 6 concludes with the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so we find our way um, at the end of of the timeline, and then again next week we'll back up and hear some of the visions that Daniel had during this time. So this chapter, chapter 6, concludes the narrative portion of the book of Daniel. But not only is Daniel 6 the final entry in the collection of stories from the first half, it is by far the most famous of the stories in the book of Daniel Uh, I mean our our Daniel scripture journals if you got one of those has what on the cover lions right I mean Daniel in the lion's den is I mean it's just it's the story of the book it's what we think of immediately even more than the story of the fiery furnace this story has tended to be very well known It's been referenced in songs, depicted in paintings, although typically those paintings are Daniel looking rather young rather than what he would have actually been, an elderly man by this time in the story. So uh, let's read this classic story from Daniel 6. Remember, chapter 5 ended with King Belshazzar's death and Darius... Taking over the kingdom. So, as we begin reading, chapter 6 is going to pick up right where we left off. So, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God.
1: So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfect satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, Issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing.
2: Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed.
0: Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A
1: stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den... He called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty.
2: The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and their children. And before they had reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones."
0: Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thank you guys for reading. You can return to your seats. And as we continue, let us pray. O Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the stories that we have received here. Some of which we've come to know very well. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture here together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds. And soften our hearts that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there we have Daniel chapter 6. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Or we might say lions and empires and prayers. Oh Oh my. Right? Yeah. This is another gripping story from the book of Daniel with kings, with court officials, with drama, with suspense, and it is yet another story about God's everlasting kingdom. But it takes a little while to get there. The plot of this story is sort of like an archaeological excavation I was thinking about it. There's a a recent Netflix film a couple years ago titled The Dig that tells the story of the Sutton Hoo discovery in Britain. Uh, It began with an amateur archaeologist digging up some burial mounds in the British countryside, and it ended with historians from the British Museum coming to the scene to make literal groundbreaking discoveries of what appeared to be an ancient king the deeper they dug the more they discovered and they were amazed by it and this story in daniel chapter 6 reads like an archaeological dig of the kingdom of god the deeper we dig into the story the more we're going to discover It begins at the very top of the Medo-Persian Empire, the government, which is very impressive. But as we dig deeper and deeper, it moves ultimately to the very bottom of the lion's den, where we see God and his kingdom most clearly. So, let's dig in. One of the things we've observed throughout this series in the book of Daniel is how the stories in the book of Daniel have often been read as primarily inspiring hero tales or moral examples that we're meant to learn from. And what we've said is that if we read the stories only this way, we might learn something good, but ultimately we'll end up missing the point of God's kingdom. However, the narrative itself does, in fact, make quite a big deal out of Daniel's character. Uh, So to not pause and consider his example would also be to miss something that it seems like the author is trying to communicate to us. So I want to spend a little bit of time today considering how Daniel is portrayed in the story What kind of example he does show us. But like an excavation project, we will dig deeper and deeper to see what more there is to find. But Daniel's character, right? After Darius comes to power, he begins setting up his new kingdom. Verses 1 and 2 describe this process. He appoints 120 officials called satraps to rule and then he appoints three administrators who are going to be overseeing those officials, one of which is Daniel. And then we have verse 3, which says, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Right. So Daniel had these distinguishing qualities qualities about him that set him apart from others. What are these qualities that Daniel has? Well, here's just a few. One of them is Daniel's excellence. His excellence. Another way of translating the phrase in verse 3 is that Daniel was distinguished by his excellent spirit or because an excellent spirit was in him. Whatever Daniel did, he did excellently. He did it with care. He did it with thought. He did it with intentionality, with attention to detail. And why is this? Well, it's really interesting throughout the book of Daniel that even though Daniel and his friends are working In the secular king's court, they are consistently described as serving God. I mean, even in this chapter, we heard a couple of times, the king himself said, the God who you serve continually. Right? So, though they're employed by Babylon, or then Persia, they're serving God. Though they're employed by a secular empire, their service is to God. I want to remind you of what we talked about several weeks ago on Labor Day weekend. We looked at Colossians chapter 3 where Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Daniel lived this way. He lived this way in the midst of a secular empire. Though he was appointed by Darius, Daniel works for the Lord, not for a human master. And so he works with all his heart. Excellence in our daily work is a character trait of God's people. The people of God should be known for not just doing things, but doing things well. Doing things with excellence. There is no such thing as a secular act. Everything we do is worship. And so let us do everything with our whole hearts, our whole selves. This is one of the things we see in Daniel. Daniel. His excellence. But another of Daniel's distinguishing characteristics is his own action. He's an active person. When the other officials try to find a way to displace Daniel, whether because of jealousy or something else, they are unable to find any dirt on him. And their report is in verse 4. It says, They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Neither corrupt nor negligent. This phrase jumped out at me as I was reflecting on it this week because it emphasizes something important and I think challenging for us. You see, Daniel wasn't corrupt. His hands were clean. And I mean, that's one thing to, to think about and meditate on, but most of us would go, well, yeah, obviously we shouldn't be corrupt. But not only were his hands clean. It also says that he was not negligent. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. You see, one way of keeping our hands clean is to not use our hands at all. Right? You know, your hands can't get dirty if you don't do anything with them. And this is a strategy that many people use throughout life just play it safe just keep to yourself disengage right this is a strategy that the church has often used draw a thick line between us and them and do not cross it right we've seen this kind of thing before we've heard this kind of thing But Daniel was neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel did not disengage. Daniel was not passive. Daniel was very active in his work and yet still free of corruption. Another way of putting it, Daniel was in the world but not of the world. This is the prayer that Jesus would pray over his disciples later on. That they would be in the world, but not of it. It's a challenge for us today. A challenge for us to stay engaged or to get engaged to begin with. To break through the barriers that we've constructed in order to play it safe. And I want to emphasize again that Daniel here is an elderly man by this time. He is advanced in years, as another scripture might put it, right? Probably well into his 80s, maybe even his 90s. But he's still engaged. He's still connected. He's still Active. I mean, it is so tempting and so easy today to withdraw and retreat into our homes, into our televisions, especially in old age. But Daniel shows us someone who's still actively engaged with the people in the place where he is. And so it's worth pondering for us, who are the people that we can connect with? Who are the people that that we can engage? How can we break through our social anxiety and actually start a conversation? Ask people questions. Share words of, of blessing. Words of encouragement. This is especially important for older generations. I mean, us younger folk need encouragement. We need blessing. We need your engagement. And it goes both ways. Daniel was not corrupt, but he also was not negligent. He was excellent and he was active. One more attribute I see in Daniel throughout this story is his peace. His peace. Daniel seems to be the only character in this whole chapter who is free from anxiety. And yet, he is the one with the most cause for anxiety. I mean, He's one of the top administrators. That's a lot of pressure, right? There's a, a new law that's been put in place that's targeted specifically against him. That's cause for distress. He is about to be thrown into the lion's den. It's time to panic, right? But we see none of this from him. He has every reason to be anxious, to be afraid, and yet he's the only character who appears to stay calm and be at peace. Compared to all the other characters in this chapter, there's the meddling officials who seem to always be in a frenzy. Three times in the story, there is a verb that you used to describe them. The NIV, which we read earlier, translates it, went as a group. Went as a group in verse 6, 11, and 15. These men went as a group to plot with the king. They went as a group to spy on Daniel. They went as a group to turn him in. That's not the best translation of this word. It's a pretty dry translation. The NRSV does a little bit better. It translates this word conspired, right? These men conspired and did all of these things. But there are several dictionaries that describe this word that's used here in the the original text most literally as to be in tumult. To be in tumult, right? These officials go in tumult to the king. They go in tumult to spy on Daniel. They go in tumult to report to the king, right? They are a frenzied tumultuous bunch who are driven by their own anxieties and selfish ambitions. That's what motivates them. And then you have the king who blindly goes along with what they've said. And then when you realize what's going to happen to Daniel because of it, he's in a frenzy, right? Uh, verse 14 says the king is greatly distressed. When he finds out what's happening, uh, throughout the night that Daniel's in with the lions, the text tells us nothing about what Daniel is experiencing during that time. the The focus is on this king, who in verse eighteen we see as an anxious wreck. Right, he's unable to eat. He's unable to sleep. He, he goes without entertainment, right? I mean, he doesn't even reach for Netflix. He's just—he's he, like—he can't handle it. He's such an anxious mess. Meanwhile, Daniel, throughout the chapter, appears to be at peace, despite his high-pressure position and dire circumstances. Now, it's absolutely natural to feel. Anxious in all kinds of circumstances. But peace is a supernatural gift. It's a fruit of God's Spirit. It's a mark of God's kingdom to be at peace when it makes no sense to be at peace. Peace, as Paul writes, that passes understanding. This is a mark of God's kingdom. And we see it in Daniel. So Daniel is distinguished by these exceptional qualities, his excellent spirit. He does things excellently. He's active in the world around him and at peace. But this is only the surface of the story. It's only the surface of the story. We need to keep digging. We need further excavation. And that's where the story brings us. As we dig deeper into the story, we discover the source of Daniel's exceptional qualities. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I I absolutely love this. I mean, Daniel has just learned about a decree that is banning prayer to anyone except the king. How will he respond? What will he do? Well, I guess I got to go pray about it to figure out, right? Got to go pray about it to figure out how to respond. But truly, there's a little bit of humor in the way it's presented in the story, especially in the last phrase of verse 10 just as he had done before. How will this decree affect Daniel's actions? It won't at all. He's going to continue doing exactly as he has done before. Nothing changes. He continues his habit of prayer three times a day toward Jerusalem. Three times a day toward Jerusalem. There's a long tradition of praying three times a day. We see it here with Daniel. Uh, we can look back and hear it described in Psalm 55. The psalmist says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. This tradition was carried on further into the early church one of the earliest documents after the actual writing of scripture is a collection of early teachings called the didache which is just the word teaching uh, but it's called the didache it's a collection of early teachings from the early church and it gives us a lot of insight into the life and the practices Of the early church we learn about their practices of baptism and communion these are things that they valued in their life together but in between those we also learned that they too sought to pray three times a day three times a day the early Christians were encouraged to pray to God regular times of prayer both bookending and interrupting the day, were well established. And this is Daniel's habit. This is what we see Daniel doing. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. This is an incredible practice. I mean, especially given the circumstances. There's this decree that's been published banning such prayer. But Daniel persists. There's something that strikes me as as I reflect on this, that if a similar law banning prayer were put into effect today and Christians went on about their lives without changing anything at all, I wonder how many of them would actually violate this command. You know what I mean? many of us are not in the habit of daily prayer. Such a law would have no effect on many people because regular prayer has often fallen out of practice. We've often lost this habit. And yet, this regular return to prayer is the source of Daniel's outstanding character. All those things that we looked at before, his excellence, his action, his peace, this is where they are cultivated in his regular returning to prayer. And we see this uh, description of how he prays. Why does he pray? He prays... Toward Jerusalem, toward Jerusalem, uh, this is uh, very likely a reference back to in First uh, Kings chapter eight, Solomon describes when the temple is first being built, uh, that if the people are somewhere else or taken away, they ought to pray toward the temple, toward Jerusalem, right and so Daniel is carrying on this practice that goes all the way back to Solomon. But to the Jewish people, Jerusalem, and the temple in particular, was seen as the place where God dwells. This is where God is. And so to pray toward Jerusalem is to pray toward God. It's to pray toward God. And prayer is meant to be this. It's meant to be an act of reorientation. Uh, It's meant to be an act that orients us toward God. Prayer is meant to be a, a pausing, to take out a spiritual compass, to find our bearings. Where am I? Am I toward God? That's why it's so good to have moments of prayer, not only at the start and the end of the day, although that's a good start, but also in the middle of the day, interrupting our day to reorient, recenter, refocus on God. I mean, just imagine being on an expedition and only checking your compass when you start in the morning and then again in the evening. And how often you will learn in the evening that, oh, we got to spend some time tomorrow backtracking, right? We've got to figure out how to, how to get back on track. Pausing in the middle of the day offers this moment of reorientation. It's this opportunity to find our bearings. These moments of prayer, whether morning, midday, or evening, do not have to be long. Perhaps it's simply saying the Lord's Prayer as we do when we gather on Sundays. Maybe it's even just pausing to reflect on a single line from this prayer that Jesus has given us. Imagine pausing in the middle of your day to go, Father in heaven. How might that reset you? Or pausing in the middle of the day to say, Your kingdom come. Would that give you a new perspective? On the work that you're going about, on the people that you're encountering. Imagine pausing to simply say in the middle of the day, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those who have debts for us. How would that reset you? How would that help you to find your bearings? Right, Prayer is meant to be this thing that orients us toward God. Prayer and worship, these reminders that we have built into our lives, are not meant to be an escape from life, but a means of reorienting ourselves so we can truly live in life. That's what these are for. And that's what it was for Daniel as well. Prayer was the place where he cultivated this outstanding character. And so he was excellent, he was active, he was at peace because he was regularly rooted in prayer. But again, we need to keep digging deeper because just as the source of his character is his prayer, the source of his prayer is is the reality that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That is the true foundation of this text. If we keep digging, that's the bottom we eventually get to. And we see this most clearly as Daniel is thrown into the lowest place, the lion's den. Isn't it amazing? At the end of this chapter, there, there are two moments in particular that declare the kingdom of God. In verse 22, whenever Daniel is, is uh, you know, the, the tomb, the, the cave is opened back up. In verse 22, Daniel says to the king, My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. God rules over these lions. God rules here. God is king. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now, this statement... God sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lions takes on a bit heavier meaning in the context of the whole book of Daniel. Remember a couple chapters ago, we have King Nebuchadnezzar who was sent out into the wilderness and became like an animal because the kingdoms of this world are like wild beasts. In the next chapter of Daniel, Daniel will have his first vision that we read about, in which he sees the kingdoms of this world appear as vicious wild beasts. But do you know who has power over the wild beasts of the world? My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. God is greater than the wild animals of this world, whether literal lions or terrible empires. God is king over all. And so God has sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Daniel is protected because God is in control. It's not because the lions are not hungry, and it's not because the lions are not vicious. Plenty of commentaries that I read this week pointed out how quickly they leapt on the others who were thrown into the lion's den. They were ready to eat, but God's hand held them back because God is in control. And so God's kingdom is proclaimed first when the lion's mouths are shut. But then also God's kingdom is proclaimed when Darius opens his mouth. In verse 26, he issues a decree in every part of his kingdom that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And he begins to worship this God. He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion so God's kingdom is proclaimed when lions shut their mouths and when kings unexpectedly open them. Proclaiming this God is king over all. That's the bedrock foundation of Daniel. And we often do not find that bedrock foundation of God's kingdom until we too have been brought to the very lowest place. It's in the lowest places of our lives that we can surprisingly encounter the unexpected kingdom of God that is beneath all things. We often miss it when we're comfortable, when everything is going well. But like Daniel discovers it when he is at his lowest point, so can we. And so this story Daniel chapter 6. Yes, it's an inspiring story. And Daniel's a good example. But when our lives fall short of this story and of his example, it is meant to be so much more than that. This story is meant to point us to another story. It points us to another one who came, living a life not only of excellence, but of perfection. One who not only lacked corruption, but was incorruptible. One who not only had peace, but is peace. One who also regularly prayed to his father. Who knelt down in the garden on the night when he was betrayed, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. Daniel's story points us to Jesus who was also innocently accused, falsely framed and thrown into a den of death that was sealed with a stone. And, like Daniel chapter 6, when that stone was rolled away, life was found where death was expected. But here is where the stories are different. While Daniel was saved from death, Jesus defeated death. While Daniel trusted in God's kingdom, Jesus has come and firmly established God's kingdom. Jesus came not only proclaiming the kingdom, but enacting it through his life, through his death, and ultimately through his resurrection. Daniel was a good example, but when we have fallen short of it, Jesus has not only set us an example, but also saved us for eternity. Because of his death and resurrection, we too will be resurrected and dwell with him in his everlasting kingdom. Amen.